You're listening to Guitars and Granola Bars, episode 22. Thank you so much for joining me here on Guitars and Granola Bars, Music Therapists Talk Parenthood. I'm your host, Rachel Ramback, and this podcast is for music therapists and anyone else balancing a passion-fueled career with being a parent. I'm changing things up big time for the month of June here on the podcast. In celebration of Father's Day, I'll be featuring four dads who are sharing their perspective on parenting and life as a music therapist. I hope you enjoy these episodes as much as I have. This podcast is sponsored by Music Teachers Helper, the best way to manage your private music lesson studio and or music therapy practice. I've used Music Teachers Helper every single day since 2011, and it is one of the best tools I have to keep my private practice running smoothly. Music Teachers Helper is online scheduling and billing software which you can access from your computer, laptop, tablet, and smartphone that saves you hours every month, enables you to generate reports for taxes, and ensures you never lose track of a payment. Once you add a student, which is super easy, you can choose to automatically send students custom invoices that can be paid by credit card if you make that an option. Automatically email lesson and session reminders, late payment notifications, notes, and so much more. So many amazing features, I can't even list them all here. Every user also receives a free, easy-to-build website template to help market your studio or practice online. Ditch the costly web designer or programmers and have complete control over your website content. With dozens of professional templates available, you'll be sure to find one that best expresses your style. Whether you have 5 or 50 students, Music Teachers Helper works with studios and practices of all sizes. They offer a 30-day, no-risk trial where you can test it out to discover how much time you'll be saving. If you use the link in the show notes or go to www musicteachershelper.com slash podcast, you'll save 20% off your first month if you choose to sign up after the trial. In this episode, I'm chatting with William Murray. Bill has been a practicing music therapist for 12 years, specializing in pediatrics, working with children and youth with special needs. Throughout his career, Bill has developed, implemented, and evaluated music therapy programs for not-for-profit organizations across Southern Ontario and the greater Toronto area. Bill holds a master's degree in organizational leadership from the University of Guelph and an honors bachelor of music therapy degree, minor in psychology, from the University of Windsor. As director and lead clinician for Accent Music Therapy, Bill is committed to providing industry-leading care. All right. Well, welcome to the podcast, Bill. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Yeah, it's my pleasure. This is so much fun interviewing male music therapists and getting to see a completely different perspective than we're used to on the show. So this will be this will be a lot of fun. I always like to start with getting more information about your background and how you became a music therapist. So tell us about that. Yeah, sure. So um, I guess the story of why I 
I became a music therapist, I'm always kind of uh, a believer that, uh, you know, you're sort of chosen to become a music therapist rather than the other way around. Um, I had this calling. Um, it was after high school. I didn't really know what I wanted to do with my life. And uh, my mom is actually a piano uh, and voice teacher. Um, she had done so. Um, she ran her own sort of small business and had done so for 30 years. And uh, she actually suggested the profession of music therapy. And I didn't really know a lot about it. Uh, but there was a friend of a friend that was volunteering or sorry, she had a program. It was a mental health center in Toronto. Um, and she offered to have me come in as a volunteer. And the life-changing experiences of these clients or these patients in these groups was just amazing. And I knew right then and there that this was something I wanted to do. Um, I guess more personally, when I was younger, um, we had uh, my, I have a twin brother and our best friend actually uh, sadly killed himself when we were really young. And um, the song Tears in Heaven by Eric Clapton sort of bookended that whole point of my life. And uh, for about 15 years after that, I couldn't hear that song. I just had this strong avoidance of that song because it would just sort of bring me right back. So I think on a personal level, I had a really strong connection of the power of music and what it did to me and what it could do. And then when I saw um, this program for these psych patients, it, I think it just kind of full circle cemented that, yes, this is something I need to do. So from there, you know, volunteering, I knew I wanted to become a music therapist. So at the time in Canada, there was only two programs. Um, so I, I live uh, in sort of the, the greater Toronto area. Um, so there's a, a town called Windsor. It's actually close to Detroit. And then there's another one sort of on the outskirts of Toronto. Those were the two programs. So at the time, um, Laurier was very improv-based, um, and I, I auditioned there, and it just didn't have the right feeling of what I wanted from the school. Windsor, the program was a lot smaller, um, so I was able to really get a feel for um, what being a music therapist would be like from just a little closer of a knit community, I thought, at the time. Um, so I went to University of Windsor, graduated in 2003. Um, I did my internship uh, in private practice and gerontology and sort of quickly learned that that wasn't really where my passion lied. Uh, I was more with, uh, you know, troubled youth or... Uh, um, so then I started working with adults with um, sort of concurrent developmental and, and psychological disorders um, and did that for about two years um, and really loved the work. So it was uh, really complex clients. Um, there was a lot of really intense clinical experiences uh, that I went through. Uh, but those were, you know, adults with developmental disabilities and psychiatric issues. Um, so that, again, I knew that that was great work, but not really where I wanted to ultimately end up. So uh, from there, left, um, left that practice and then started my own business. Um, and it was sort of the first iteration of the company that I run now. So I did that for about a year and a half, just getting contracts and sort of a bag of a jack of all trades, took some pediatric work, some ger geriatric work, um, sort of was all over the map. 
But it wasn't till I got offered a job at a children's treatment center and I got a sort of full-time gig um, working with kids with autism and Down syndrome and cerebral palsy, um, a lot of other disorders. Um, but that's where I really started to grow my passion for mu- music therapy with pediatrics. Um, and then from there, uh, left and started my own business uh, that really jumped off the pediatric brand. Um, so that's, I still think, where the core of our business is. But, um, you know, now we've since expanded to adults and geriatrics all over again. But I, my, my passion and sort of, I think, where I'm best at is, um, yeah, pediatrics and then young adults. So making that transition from where you were at during your internship and after your internship, at what point did you um, feel like you were comfortable working with a completely different population? Or was that something you just sort of immediately felt that comfort with and and eased right into? Yeah, I, I think it all happened around the same time as my wife and I wanted to start a family. I think I just got kids on the brain and then started working with um, kids with developmental challenges and physical challenges and just really started to love the work. So I think it was a combination of just the life phase that I was at, but also just experiencing all these populations that I kind of knew deep down that it wasn't for me. Um, I've seen some music therapists work in geriatrics that are absolutely amazing and I just I feel like early on I just didn't have it. I didn't have the the passion and the interest. So I think um, it was sort of an extension of just the the life phase that I was at. We were we were thinking of starting a family, so getting to work with kids was just sort of a, a perfect storm of of uh, things lining up. And 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 yeah, I think it just really ignited a passion to want to work uh, in the early stages of development to to make these sort of lasting changes in in people's lives. So. Oh, nice. That is that is a nice coincidence as far as the timing goes. And were mm. were you working in private practice at that point when when you and your wife did decide to move forward with starting a family? Um, I think it was at the end of uh, end of the line of my first sort of iteration of being in private practice. We I took the job at uh, this children's treatment center because it was a full time steady. You know, the paychecks were steady. It was, um, you know, much more of a stable gig. And then we just thought, okay, because of that, now we can we can start to think about having a family. And so I think, yeah, it all kind of, it was just the timing. Um, I was looking for something more steady because I think we were thinking of, of starting a family. And, and then the steady work kind of lined up and allowed us to, to give it a go. <laughs> nice. That's very fortunate. I know that for me too, you know, being in private practice and starting a family and then having more kids, it's, you know, not a guaranteed steady paycheck every single month. You don't exactly know how much you're going to be bringing in. So it's always a little bit of a leap of faith. So that's awesome that that things were looking really solid for you at that point. So how did things sort of move forward from the point where, where you did decide to go ahead and take the plunge into starting a family? Um, I think because we had the stability of our work, um, we had been married for about a year and a half. Um, 
And it's funny because uh, when you asked me to do this, I, I asked my wife uh, to kind of think back and neither of us could really remember. It wasn't like, a, okay, now we're ready. To, <laughs> now we want a family. It was more, I think, uh, at the time, you know, we had been married. We bought a house. We had sort of all the ducks lined up. Um, but when you're in that stage, it's like there's never enough money in the bank. There's never enough security. Like you said, it, it, at, at some point, it just ultimately becomes a leap of faith to say, let's just do it and we'll figure it out. And I don't think there's ever an ideal scenario, um, but we were ready. And um, yeah. And so after your first child was born, how did how were you able to um, support your wife and were you able to take some time off and how did that look? Yeah. So, um, the, uh, so my wife's pregnancy didn't go exactly to plan. Um, our daughter ended up actually coming eight weeks early. Um, so it, in retrospect, it was a blessing to be at a steady job where I could just say, okay, well, you know, things aren't going exactly to plan, but I need to take some time off now rather than, you know, two months when I had it booked off. So um, because things went so not textbook, um, we scrambled. I ended up taking the first month off um, just because Megan was in the NICU um, and my wife at the time was living at the hospital um, and uh, I was just needed at home to kind of keep the home front uh stable and um yeah so it was a really good situation to be able to support her um and yeah in the first month I, I took off unfortunately I, I would have liked to have the whole year off but uh I had to go back and um you know we're we're lucky in Canada that we you get a year yes so, um, I'm so jealous so, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So that was really, really nice for my wife to be able to, to take that time off. And I really wanted some time with Meg and not working. So uh, I think it was about the last, it was the last month or two that I took over the paternity leave. Um, so Trish went back to work a, a little bit early, and I was able to be home. So that was nice. Oh, that's great. That's great that you got that time mm -hmm. while she was still so young. And mm -hmm. when you ended up going back to work, did you feel like you needed to make additional changes in your career in order to balance that work with being a father? Yeah, that was the toughest part was to go back um, after that little bit of time off towards the, the end of the year uh, maternity leave or paternity leave in that case. Um, because, you know, the, the job that I was at, and, and I'm sure you see it in your private practice, you know, a lot of clients, because it's peds, any, any kid that's of school age, uh, they want after school. Mm -hmm. They want that sort of 4 p.m. to 8 p.m. is prime time, and that's really when you ultimately want to be home with your own family. So there was an automatic trade-off of, you know, just giving up a couple nights a week where I had to be up work and do late groups and late programming and see caseload till 8 p.m. And, you know, there were some nights, you know, it's unfortunately the sacrifice that I had to make was, you know, some nights not even being home to put her to bed. So um, that was tricky and definitely a huge challenge for our situation, our relationship to figure out, um, you know, this burden because it leaves a lot of uh, pressure and um, asks a lot of my wife too at the time. So 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You're right. That's definitely been one of the biggest challenges <laughs> for my family as well. And even, you know, heading into adding a second baby, you know, that's something that I still struggle with even now that, you know, we sort of have a rhythm down, but you still have that sort of guilt factor where, you know, you obviously want to be serving your clients and doing your job, but at the same time, you know, yeah, those are the prime family hours. So it's a, mm-hmm. it's a constant yeah. kind of battle back and forth. What, what have you done to, um, to kind of make that, uh, make the most of that situation, I, I guess I should say. Well, I think, um, in sort of realizing that when Megan was born, um, you know, I think at the, at the time, you know, we get this preemie, things didn't go according to plan and, and, you know, you're almost in shock for the first year, yes. I think. Um, sure you could kind of relate. So by the time you look back and you think, oh, well, you know, that wasn't ideal or I'd like to do it a little bit differently. Uh, you kind of have a plan uh, to, to know sort of what you're looking for and, and what works. So we found that, you know, if I could do one late evening, um, that, that sort of put the burden on my wife to, you know, to do everything. Um, if I could do one of those and then maybe one late night where at least I'm home to put Megan down to bed. Um, we, we found that kind of our sweet spot of at least something that my wife could handle. Cause, uh, you know, you know, being married to a music therapist, that's something she sort of took on that knowing that there are some nights that I'm not home. Um, and then by the time we have two kids, so, uh, when Noah came around, um, I actually took half of the leave. So I took six months paternity leave, just knowing that I wanted to be home more and be more of a presence for both of them. Cause, uh, Megan was in school at the time. So I was sort of Mr. Mom for, half the year and that was amazing so I think we really learned um through the first one that you know that probably wasn't ideal um yeah so we we figured it out we found sort of a sweet spot with being off for half the year and now in my own practice um you know I'm, I'm only away sort of that one or two late nights um so we've kind of found a good balance yeah, I, I think it's so important to, to find that balance, as hard as that can be at times. Um, I'm curious, um, you said that you took half of the year off for paternity leave. How does that work when you're self-employed or when you own your own business in Canada with the maternity and paternity leave? Um, well, at the time, I was still at this sort of full-time gig, so I was able... So the way it works up here is that the government will give whether it's the the whether it's a maternity leave or a paternity leave it's sort of a base amount uh so every every two weeks you get a paycheck from the government to be home with your child it's absolutely amazing um but basically and the way that it worked with our employers you know you get top up pay so it was a really good chance uh, unfortunately i don't have any insight with private practice but because we were working for employers, we were able to get top-up pay, and it was a great situation and great environment to, to build our family. And, and now, you know, we're kind of out of that stage, um, and it was sort of the way things worked where um, the, the steady job I was at, they actually canceled the music therapy program, and that's when I went out on my own and created my own business. So we had already been through the family stage and oh, okay. really took advantage okay. of, of, of the leaves. Um, 
but one thing that I was probably most surprised at was the amount of resistance that I got for actually taking a paternity leave. I, my wife and I were absolutely shocked by this. So, you know, I worked at a children's treatment center with speech therapists and occupational therapists and physio and nurses and doctors. It was a great multidisciplinary team. But any, I found it quite surprising when you would tell your colleagues, oh, I'm going off for half the year. There was this real sort of sentiment of, well, what are you doing at home? What do you know about raising raising a child? And my wife got the same flack uh, kind of on the other end, like as if she was a, a you know, lesser than mom for wanting to go back and continue her career six months in. So that was quite shocking for both of us to just to see how we, we really thought we would be supported by the, the colleagues that we work with. We both work in healthcare and we thought, oh, this would be great. People will understand our situation and really get why we're doing this and, and really found the opposite. So we were both kind of taken aback by that. That is very shocking to me, especially working within a team like that. And you would think that they, of all people, would realize how important that would be to you and, you know, find that so neat of your wife to, to want to share that experience with you and, and let you have you know, your time at home as well. That's so interesting. How did yeah, you- it was really interesting. It was not expected at all. No. How did, so to, how did you respond to that? Um, well, I think, um, you know, my daughter at the time was uh, like four years old. So, you know, I, I know that I'm a good dad and I knew that I was wanting to leave for the right reasons. I wanted to be at home and, um, you know, just just sort of shrugged it off it really I think it was just because most of the most of the opinions that I got in in that light were were, um, just I think yeah staff that probably didn't have their spouses do the same thing or offer to do the same thing so I think it was just um, it was just an adjustment they weren't really used to that idea of, of a father wanting to step away from his career to be home with his family it's some it's it's kind of a new I think it's a bit of a new idea. <laughs> I think it is too. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Yeah. So kudos to you for being a trailblazer in that respect. Yeah. <laughs> so how did you feel like you changed or evolved in your music therapy work after you became a dad? Well, like I said, I, I'm working in peds and that's where I love to work. So I think just having... Um, well, first of all, having the experience of being in the NICU and, and going through, you know, is our daughter going to have, um, you know, challenges with the development of her brain? Uh, we actually went and were followed by a speech and language pathologist and physiotherapist and occupational therapist. So we went really through the similar channels to a lot of the families that I was seeing and working with. Um, so I think that just made me more... Um, empathetic and compassionate to to what these families were going through and I think made me a more responsive therapist um, certainly more patient and more understanding of you know challenging behaviors or just managing life at home I think just because I had been there and could really relate um, it's one thing to read about it or to study about it but to live it um, and be able to go out there and really um, you know, relate to your your clients and your families on just a little bit more of a personal way. So, yeah, I think that really helped me become um, just a little bit more careful and more 
um, yeah, more resourceful perhaps in, in what these families were going through. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I had the same, um, the same experience as you after becoming a parent. And I, I love that feeling of being able to really, um, empathize with my clients' families and being able to put myself in their shoes and seeing things from their perspective. So I think it, it makes me a much more in-tune therapist and just in-tune mm-hmm. person with them in general. Yeah, and then I think as soon as families find out that you yourself have a family, um, I mean, that's something that I have to deal with, just being a male therapist and wanting to work with kids um you know i think that's not a common thing and unfortunately in the day and age we live in i'm sure some parents think oh well what's that all about so as soon as families find out that i'm a father and i have a family myself i think um it it makes the dynamic seem a little bit more uh acceptable um which is something I never really thought of working in pediatrics, but um, certainly something that you have to deal with. Yeah, um, and I never gave that yeah. any thought either, but in, right until you said that. But I'm sure that you've had, you know, experiences with not only families, but maybe, um, I don't know, other uh, colleagues that you've come across or potential colleagues where, um, you know, you might have to to present yourself differently than, you know, a female music therapist would in that situation. So talk a little bit more about that because I think that's an interesting perspective that you can provide. Yeah, well, that's something that always, um, I think just that was ingrained in me um, going going through my school. So when I went to Windsor, when I was in my first year, there was no males in the programs like year two, three, and four ahead of me. And then going through school up until I graduated, there was no male therapists on the three years behind me. So that it was a seven year gap basically of me being the one male music therapist in the program. So you get kind of used to this being not the norm. This is not, uh, this is not sort of the industry standard. This is not kind of what's out there. And then I think from there, unfortunately, that's just the, the world we live in. You know, I, I have to think about, you know, do, does my treatment room need to have a window on it so that parents don't think anything's going on or it's, it's a really sad reality, but it is a reality being a a male clinician working with kids. Um, so yeah, it it was a little bit awkward at first. Um, but I've certainly, you know, I've been a music therapist for 12 years and, you know, I've, I've long gotten over that. Um, but yeah, it's, it's definitely, something worth talking about in the music therapy community and how we get more males excited to be music therapists. And, and that is an issue. Unfortunately, it is an issue that, uh, you know, male therapists have to deal with because for whatever reason. Um, but yeah, so like I said, there's not, I don't think I really, uh, deal with my practice any differently. Um, but perhaps there is just more that, that sort of, um, that that extra step of caution, just just being uh, a male in the profession that I'm in. So that's yeah, so it's interesting. A, wow. Yeah, yeah, it's a unique situation. But I mean, like I said, I've been doing it long enough. I'm definitely over it now. But uh, in school, when you think of it, it's like, well, what what what's going on here? How, how is it just me? <laughs> yeah, 
know? Yeah, when when you were in the early days and, and you were the only male, was that something that sort of gave you pause and made you think, mm, should I really do this? Or is this something that I'm going to have to contend with my whole career? I think more of the latter, that um, because, like I said, because I had such strong... Um, experiences with music and music therapy in the very early formative years of what I was trying to when I was trying to figure out what to do I've never really questioned being a music therapist at least not from the sense of being a a male music therapist I've questioned being a music therapist in general just you know when you're a pack mule dragging everything there's you know early stages of your career you think man I should have just gone to law school or something uh just taking like a desk job but um yeah, it's never really been because I'm a male music therapist do I do I question why I'm doing what I'm doing. It's just, yeah. you know, challenges and certain specific things that you just you have to deal with and you get I've gotten over it. So Yeah. Well, speaking of challenges, have there been others when it comes to balancing your life at home and then especially now with being in private practice and I know that you are a go-getter as far as, as growing your practice goes. And um, so so what kind of challenges have you faced? Well, I, I think the biggest one, I mean, self-care is always a huge one. But, um, that's sort of universal for therapists. Um, that's always a big challenge. But, yeah, finding that work-life balance that works for your spouse that works for your own career and your own business and works for your kids definitely took a little bit of juggling. And in fact, I still think I'm, I'm juggling it. Um, you know, every month I'm sort of, you know, can I get rid of this session or can I get rid of this time? So I'm home a little bit more. Um, but I think, so the way it worked is we had our, our children, my wife and I, like our family was pretty well established. And then I got laid off. They canceled the music therapy program. So I think we knew we were in for two years of total tumultuous um, turmoil in terms of scheduling. And, you know, it really pulled the rug out from under us. But I think we were realistic in knowing that, you know, I'm not going to be home as much as I'd like. Now, with the business being a little bit more established, I'm able to get some help with some of our staff where, you know, they take a couple evenings or they take a weekend so that I, I can be home with my family. Um, but, yeah, it's it's an ever it's a never ending struggle of am I home enough? Am I uh, and, 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 you know, as as well as I do, that when you have a business, it's on your mind all the time. Oh, all the time. Um, right. Yeah, so it takes a little bit of practice of just knowing how do you unplug that part of your brain so that you can be, you know, in the here and now at home and really be, you know, a really good father to your kids and, and uh, you know, do all the things that you would like to be doing and not think, oh, did I, you know, did I pay this bill or did this happen or how's, how's uh, things shaping up this month? So that, that honestly, that took probably almost two years to, to find out how to do that. Was there a point in where, like, an age that your kiddos reached where you felt like it got easier, or did it just kind of evolve with experience? Um, I think a little bit of both. I think, um, yeah, as the, as the the child gets older, you know, they gain a little bit more independence. Um, so that certainly 
Um, that certainly helps. But I think you also learn how to be a parent as you go along. Um, so I think, um, like, certainly when, when Noah came around, uh, we, we definitely, you know, we had been through so much with Meg and um, sort of her development and making sure everything was on track and a lot more doctor's appointments and, you know, uh, therapy appointments that, that, uh, than we went through with Noah. So by the time he arrived, you know, you, you feel like, you know, at least what's expected. Um, the first go around, as you know, it, everything is so trial and error and you just sort of adapt as you go along. But I think you're more physically and emotionally ready for, for the challenge the second time around. It, I found it a lot easier as it goes. And now Meg's in school and, you know, makes lunches on her own and is very independent. She's, she's eight now. So, um, I do find that as the kids get older, um, the, your, your job as a parent shifts. It's, it's now, instead of looking after their basic needs, it's more, how do you make sure they're growing up to be good people and, you know, being compassionate and caring about their community and all those kind of things. Um, so the job is still just as important, but, um, it takes on a little bit of a different face as the kids get older. Yeah. And, mm. and what about some of the most fulfilling aspects of especially running a business and a growing, fastly, fast growing business like yours with being a dad yeah, as well? Uh, what's, what's been really neat is, um, you know, we, we now have physical locations. So to bring my kids into my work and have them run around and, play with all the amazing things we have in our studio space. Um, and really now they're starting to understand that, you know, daddy has a business and they know what it's named and, you know, they can visit the website and, you know, it, it's something that they're growing up with. And I think that's really important for them just to learn about, you know, self-sufficiency and entrepreneurship. Um, I've read that, uh, you know, if you if, if a parent is an entrepreneur, which both of my parents have been at, at certain points in their careers, you have an 80 percent, uh, these figures might not be exactly right, but uh, the sentiment is basically your chance of being a self-employed or, or your um, your knack for wanting to become an entrepreneur is like something like 80 percent more likely than if you don't have a parent who's ever done that. So I think for the kids to grow up up and seeing their mom and dad, you know, navigate the challenges of, you know, my wife's career is absolutely taking off as well. So for them just to see, you know, the hard work and what it takes to, you know, to work as a partnership and, um, and to take risks like being in business for yourself, I think it's great life lessons for them to learn. Um, you know, in fact, my daughter talks about, um, you know, her, the business she wants to run when she gets older. Um, so I think they would have never really had that kind of knack or that thought process if I, if I didn't do something like this. So, um, one, I guess, recent, really fulfilling part of my work, like you said, the business is fast growing and it's absolutely so excited to be in demand and, and, uh, growing a business and providing work for others and, sort of just spreading the love of what I do. Um, we actually, I have a group that um, performs at schools. So it's a sort of a rock band that we started. 
and they go around to schools and they have like an anti-bullying disability awareness presentation that they roll out and uh, we were lucky enough to go into my kid's school and um, my son joined us on stage and he sang a song with this band full of kids with special needs. It was absolutely the most rewarding point of my career to date. Oh, it was, that it was had to so be cool amazing. to see. It was, it really was. So he was in front of his whole school of, you know, four or 500 kids, rocking out on stage with a bunch of kids. Um, and what's really neat too is both of them, you know, they've seen this band. Um, I can maybe send a link or something but they're called Superfire. it's a bunch of kids with special needs and they they have a rock band so my daughter has been to many of their shows and you know my they my family comes out and supports but what's really neat is that in her mind that's the prototypical rock and roll band uh it's not you know a band that's famous um in her mind it's a it's a singer with down syndrome and that's a rock and roll and i think that's the neatest thing um, that she's able to to sort of see and understand that these kids are are really cool and they can play in a rock band and it, it's really neat to see these kids uh, really idolize young adults for the music that they play and relate to them um, on sort of a human level in a way that I wasn't used to when I was in school. We never interacted with you know a kid with Down syndrome or cerebral palsy. We wouldn't really know what that was. Um, and here are, you know, my daughter and her whole age group thinking these guys are rock stars and wanting their autograph. It's pretty neat. Oh, yeah, it doesn't get much more fulfilling than that. Well, you talked earlier about how you sort of struggle with that self-care piece. But when you are able to do some things that are for yourself and to step outside of your roles as a music therapist and a dad, what do you lean towards? Um, well, I've always loved uh, music, obviously, <laughs> uh, and I've always had my own sort of music on the go. So that's something that's always been really important for me is um, you know, I've always had a, a band one way or another. It's been, you know, me with some players and they sort of front some songs that I want to play or and I know that sounds extreme, like I'm a music therapist and I want to go play music in my spare time, but it, I, I've always needed something that is my own music. It's not for my kids. It's not for my caseload. It's not for anybody, but for me, it's kind of my own music therapy for the week. So, you know, a lot of people ask, like, you know, some of my friends, they go out to like a beer softball league. For me, I want to just go out and you know meet up with some friends and play some music. Um, so that's something that's always been important for me is my own musical interests and my own musical. Uh, so I do that. And then also, you know, our family's pretty outdoorsy. So we, we like all the benefits of being in a small town outside of Toronto in Canada. Like, so we do lots of rock climbing and getting out and about and exploring nature. So, mm-hmm. Nice, nice. Yeah, I can completely relate to the music as a hobby outside of music therapy because I'm the same way. It it takes the pressure off because when you are working, you know, you're working towards a goal all the time. And when you're playing for yourself, you're just doing it for the process and just to have fun. So it's it's completely different. Yeah, well, I mean, that's what got me into music in the first place was playing in garage bands when I was younger. So I think it's just kind of an extension of that, just wanting that outlet 
for myself. Um, and that definitely, I think, makes me a better dad and husband and clinician just because I'm able to go have, have some time where it's for me and it's my own music and my own sort of self-interest and expression. And Because, uh, yeah, I think that's a big aspect of self-care. If you don't, then you just you just get burnt out. So. Yeah, absolutely. So what advice would you give to other male music therapists, whether it's um, somebody who is starting a family or is thinking about going down that path? What would you, what would you tell them? Well, I think um, the first thing that pops into my mind is if you have an area of interest or specialty in your clinical practice, it kind of takes some of the chaos of family life out of it. So I've really liked that during this whole process of starting a family, I've been focused in one area of work, which has been pediatrics. I think if I was doing, you know, if I was working in geriatrics or, um, you know, some pain management or oncology or palliative care uh, or the whole mixed bag, I think um, that lack of focus in my professional life, I think probably just would have been too much to handle. Um, so I really liked having kind of a one focus and one specific um, goal in terms of my professional work. Um, and I think that's allowed some sort of calm in my professional life so that I can handle the chaos of my family life. Um, I think as far as being a dad and uh, taking on music therapy work, I think it's good to to get a network of other music therapists that you know, that you can relate to or ask questions to. Um, it's, at least in Canada, I don't know what if, if it's like down there, but it can be very isolating. So if you're going through that um, on your own as sort of a new father and a new, clin- uh, you know, maybe perhaps a young clinician, it, it, it can just get to be really, really pressurized. Um, so I think if you have a decent network of clinical people around you, you can at least um, take care of the clinical end of things, and that takes a little bit of pressure off so you can be a little more present at home. Yeah, I think that's fantastic advice, and um, I know that that's true for me without my network of support from fellow music therapists, especially those that are moms. I would really struggle with that isolation factor, but for males, I can imagine that it would be even stronger since there are so many fewer males than female music therapists. So I think that's Yeah. Well, and I think too, one other thing too, just from strictly being a father is, um, I think just society's expectations of, of, uh, of being a working dad is a little bit different than it used to be, you know, 10, 20 years ago. And that takes a little bit of navigating and figuring out because, you know, you've got this sort of societal, this old school, uh, you got to, you know, go out and bring home the bacon for the family. Um, you've got that sort of competing that old school with this new school of, you know, you need to be sensitive and be home and take care of the family and provide for, you know, your spouse or your partner. Um, so that I definitely found a little bit of a challenge in the early going of kind of figuring out you know, what, what are the expectations now of being sort of a work, working dad? Um, and I do see it changing a little bit. Um, so, yeah, you got to keep up with the times and, um, yeah. 
Yeah, no, that's absolutely true. That's true for, I think, moms, too. I think the whole perspective is shifting at this point. So it's interesting to see where things will go, you know, in five years from now and 10 years down the road, what what those roles will look like and what the kind of stereotypes will be. Yeah, I, I think societally we're getting used to, you know, career-driven women and what that looks like. And we're also getting used to family-driven men. And Absolutely, yeah. And that's, that's not the way things used to be. And uh, there's not really a model or, like, um, you know, in, in, say, media or um, kind of the societal, there's not really a picture. Um, you know, there's not, like, well, I guess there was in the 80s, like, in Charles in Charge or something <laughs> like that. But right. there's not really role models of really, you know, um, this mixed family where the woman really wants to get out and have a great career and the dad maybe wants to stay home and, and you know, keep the house. So, yeah, that that's definitely changing and it's exciting that um, we're finding a little bit more balance at home and, and men are being able to be off and want to, you know, keep a house and there's nothing wrong with that. And uh, women might want to get back to work early and keep their career going and there's nothing wrong with that either so right yeah yeah well do you have any music therapy related projects or news that you'd like to share with us um well i had been talking a little bit about um this band that i've been involved with so um they're they're probably the most recent um sort of a little bit of news. Um, what's really exciting is they, I've been working with them for almost seven years and which is, is a pretty long time. Um, this, you know, one set group and the members haven't changed. We've grown so much and in so many different ways. Uh, but they've really turned a corner in the last, I'd say month or two where these kids are like turning into, you know, performers, um, and they're really starting to um, kind of make it as their own unique identity. Like, I don't think there's a lot of special needs rock bands out there, uh, but they're making it work and they're really turning into, you know, they put on a show now. They, they've been doing it long enough that this is all old hat to them. Um, so I guess recently we had a, a show uh, two weeks ago and from that we now have a record label talking to us and wanting to find out more and it's just really exciting to be at a point where um you know people were writing these kids off and there was no resources out them for them at all to be able to you know make music in the way that they are and now they've persevered to a point where people are taking notice and there's you know actually people um pursuing them and wanting to maybe work with them so it's actually been a really really exciting development in their uh, growth and something that we none of us really set out to do. We weren't really setting out this group to become, you know, a recording artists. Um, but it, it looks like things are going and developing that way. So that's a really latest uh, development that's got me really excited. That something is came amazing. Kind of, it's so exciting for yeah. you, I'm sure. Is there a way that we mm-hmm. can... Do you have videos or recordings of this group that we can hear? Yeah, they actually have a website. Okay, great. <laughs> what is it? Uh, yeah, 
the band is called Super Fire, so S-U-P-E-R-F-I-R-E dot C-A. Uh, it's to their website, and on there you can see YouTube links, and you can listen to their music. You can, There's bios of the members of the band. Um, so the whole angle is, you know, um, uh, Down syndrome and cerebral palsy and Batten's disease and Williams syndrome. You know, they're they're not titles typically used to describe rock stars, but Superfire is here to kind of break down these walls. That's really sort of the angle that they have. Um, and it's absolutely amazing because in the early going, I think people paid attention just because of the group, because of who they were. And, you know, the, this was a, a group of kids getting together with, um, you know, special needs. And now people are making notice of them because of the music that they're making. It's absolutely amazing. Um, you know, our drummer is probably better than half the drummers out there that I've seen. Our guitar player, um, who has acquired brain injury, taught himself how to play guitar and is absolutely phenomenal. Um, you know, it, we're really actually making it to a point where the music sounds good and people are coming out to see them play, not because they're a band that has disabilities. That's fantastic. Well, congratulations to you on on their progress and on that success. And it's so exciting for everybody involved, I'm sure. Thank you. Yeah. Well, Bill, thank you so much for being on the podcast and sharing your perspective as a music therapist and as a dad. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me on and hearing what I have to say. I, I think it's really great that you're reaching out and sort of expanding. It sounds like you've kind of gained some perspectives of, of what it's like um, from from sort of the, the dad side of things. Um, yeah, I think it's really neat that you asked me. So thank you very much for having me on. My pleasure. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to send Bill a message, you can contact him via Facebook. His page is Accent Music TX. Would you like to be a guest on the show? Let me know. Get in touch and find the show notes for this episode at guitarsandgranolabars.com. And if you feel so inclined, please leave a review on iTunes. I'll talk to you again next week.